Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Comics like a clown. No ghosts, all pages. Bagging, boarding Batman in the gutter like a Macy. Storytellers, we some fellas, we some felons. Isn't amazing. Acapella, Vericella, because this shit is so contagious. Mouse on the summaries, compiling guys the show. While the cycle spitting knowledge on the Yeti like a pro. Keep the babble, we the rabble. Don't step to the squad. We get active, and haters like a cephalopod. You don't like fish talk? Do you hate a tomato? We the cuttlefish killers, tentacles on the tape. Greatest five stars if you cherish your life. Bucky Barnes hit squad spraying lead in your pipe. Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Is It's Just Bad, Is It's Just Bad, the best podcast you've never heard of. I'm your host, Professor Mouse, joined as always by the CB Cosmologist. Trash or good? Is it trash or good? COVID-19, the novel coronavirus, it's it, it, it's out there. Is it trash or good? Well, you tell me from personal experience. <laughs> I would assume trash. <laughs> it is trash. The, uh, we were talking about it. I got I got the old COVID-19 um, yeah, I'm from on, the chat. Uh, I'm on COVID-13 at this point. It's going down. I've been categorizing how I feel using the numbered scale. And so when my wife asked me how I'm feeling, I say I'm, I'm feeling about COVID-12, COVID-13. <laughs> OK. And I got I got to get down to COVID-1, COVID-0, zero COVID. Uh, yeah, no, but got it. Um, I don't know how that's the other thing. There's, there's several, there's several annoying things that happen when you get COVID one, uh, people start asking you shit about like shit that you're supposed to do. And you have to go, I have COVID. You just have to reiterate the first thing you sent them. Right. And so you eat, you'll text. I had, I got I tested positive for COVID and they go, but what about X? And then you go, see previous text. I'm not going That's out. Not happening anymore. <laughs> We're not seeing each other. We're not <laughs> going anywhere. We are locked down. Or at least that's what should be happening for everyone. This is the problem. This is why people are still getting COVID, is because not everyone does the responsible thing you did, which is fuck off. I'm I'm sick. Go away for two weeks. <laughs> It's shocking that it's a, it, it, you, it, you can even frame it as a responsible thing because you're right. There's so many people who try to do things or try to be like <laughs> or try to be like, yeah, keep testing positive for COVID, but it's been five days. And so I, I think it's OK to see what we see each other. And it's like, for who? For who is that OK? For you? Not for me. Yeah. Certainly not for me. Just because you're bored. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, go fucking watch them. Go watch Wednesday or some shit. Like, why are you just there's things to do? Go watch Andor. Who gives a fuck? I'm you're sick. I'm sick. Somebody's sick. So that's an annoying thing that happens. The other annoying thing that happens is they ask you how you got it. And it's like, how the fuck should I know? Like, I, it's an airborne illness. It's surging again in the U.S. Uh we and we gen, genu, gen, generally don't have as much data on it 
it's all pretty much anecdotal at this point, kind of like the flu, um, because people aren't getting tested with they test positive for COVID at home. They don't report it to the fucking CDC. They just, you know, deal with it the same way we did. Like, there's no official record of us having COVID. Um, there is now the Emmy Tony award winning Pulitzer Prize winning podcast that we do every week yeah. on record. The segment <laughs> trash or good. Uh, like what, 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 what have our trashes been COVID-19, like the most <laughs> uncontroversial, just Jeff Johns, I think. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah. Jeff Johnson's elimination from the DCU. That was a good. Yeah. Jeff Johnson himself trash is elimination. Good. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, um, that was, that was my dad was asking me where, where we got it and, we had done some stuff. I, I think I have an idea where we got it, although my wife is refusing all blame. Um, so she she is not copping to it. And again, we don't know. But the other thing is that both of us in some capacity work as educators. And so we're in schools all the time. And so that's probably how the fuck we got it. Um, they're sick ass students. Like we work in super spreader environments essentially and so yeah even in non-pandemic times your profession is at super high risk like you're always going to get something during a flu season during a you know when i was teaching i always got sick during that time and so yeah you're doomed yeah because you nasty ass students man uh (laughs) but going out and you know doing non-essential things beyond that is extra risky certainly yeah yeah and that's just like yeah you got you gotta you gotta live your life and this shit's gonna happen we're all gonna get covid and but once you do then you don't gotta live your life yeah un, unheeded of the fact that you are now a plague rat yeah and it, and, and it is weird to the compulsion because the the thing is that christmas is coming up and I mean, this happens oftentimes. We go to Florida for Christmas. We've recorded there before. Uh, And, you know, Florida is like the worst state. I mean, it's the worst place in the world. It's awful. Like, and when it comes to... Wait, wait, wait. So, Florida, trash or good? (laughs) It's not even a question. (laughs) It's not even a question. It, It... it is an insult to the game, in fact, <laughs> for Florida to be on the docket. <laughs> that one, though, it doesn't even make the docket. Uh, <laughs> um, I gotta hate going there so much. I wish just any other place. Could you live any anywhere else? Um, so you know, we usually go down there, and 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 it's very highly likely that we're not going to test. it's probably likely that we'll test negative on our antigen tests on Christmas. Mm -hmm. And then we got to get PCRs and wait for the results to come back. And so there's no way we're getting there before new year's. Um, Yo, and my dad's pissed. So he's just going to have to be pissed about it. Uh, And we're just going to go a different time because it's not safe. Yeah. It's a bummer, but it's the right thing to do. Yeah. Speaking of the right thing to do, I don't know if that's a good segue or not. There are several speaking of bummers, depending on what side of this you're on, I guess. Yeah, there are several, several uh, different 
reactions to the crumbling DCEU. The DCEU is absolutely uh, falling apart under James Gunn's stewardship at no fault of his own. Like, yeah, I was about to say that, that, that that's awfully loaded. It's been <laughs> falling apart. It's just like a set of fallen apart pieces already. He's just yep. now responsible for taking the, the Lego blocks and starting to build something new out of them. And right. he has the opportunity to do that, except nobody wants to let him. Well, and nobody wants to let him. The fandom doesn't want to let him, which honestly doesn't matter. But also Warner Brothers discovery is like absolutely falling apart institutionally and so there's it's a toxic asset like there's a toxic fandom and a toxic asset (laughs) at work and so there is a possibility that warner brothers doesn't even fucking exist before they put their slate out like they haven't been able to make any decisions but warner brothers is just hemorrhaging like warner media and discover and discovery are just hemorrhaging assets right now trying to stay afloat i would be i mean i i wouldn't want to be the cpa or the accountants who are looking or the corporate lawyers who are looking at their books and and trying to figure out like how do we make a dollar like we how do we make one singular dollar off of this fucking company because this shit is in the red yeah i remember hearing theories floated around that Warner Brothers could like sell off pieces of itself and you know like all of DC could be sold to somebody else yeah uh, as a possible strategy sure different movie studio that doesn't suck shit Universal constantly wants to make some kind of monster verse they're in the in the franchise business so they want to be yeah and and we like we have seen Warner Brothers try and fail like they have managed to make the wrong decision at every turn uh you know lest we forget they paid out a bunch of their creators uh to release things during the pandemic um and that was a way to juice their streaming service ahead of the discovery merger and also a awful idea that alienated them in the movie industry and had the likes of Christopher Nolan and several other directors leave or disavow Warner Brothers as a movie studio. And so if you look at the people who are currently on their roster who are, or who have overall deals with Warner Brothers, it's like Bradley Cooper, Todd Phillips, you know, untalented people (laughs) uh clint eastwood who keeps making movies that make 20 million dollars and lose a bunch of money about guys who are you know uh trying to hold on to the last dregs of masculinity it's a really bad situation that they're in on their movie side and on their tv side they just keep like shedding assets and shit like that it's a mess and James Gunn has to put together a slate of projects and what is also a mess right now is Twitter. And that is mostly where the drama is unfolding on this like horrible website. Yeah, it's deeply fitting, maybe that the very medium through which this storm is being uh, mediated is also a mess. (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, so this is here's let's just go through. So we're on the trash or good Twitter page. Uh I changed the cover photo to the Chuckster. <laughs> During COVID, I've been watching all of the child's play movies, the whole Chucky franchise. And I gotta say, and this might be the brain fog talking. Those might be the best movies ever made. That has got to be the brain fog. Because I was going to ask you, you know, since the, the series itself is inexplic- inexplicably good, um, what the sort of relationship between that is and the, the old movies. But you're not in the frame no, the, of mind where you can answer that the effectively. Are, the movies are legitimately very good. Um, I I understand why this has a huge fandom. Um, because... Chucky is a doll who kills people. And so the movies rely on very, very high end uh, animatronics and like puppetry. And that aged beautifully. Like those movies don't look like, I mean, the old uh, sort of like, uh, you know, using like the use of like squibs and shit like that for the kills in Friday the 13th are interesting. And every one of those sorts of movies, all these slasher movies, like the basis of the film is what is the most interesting way we can (laughs) mutilate and kill a body. Mm -hmm. And that relies on, and this is why so many people in horror got their starts doing shit for like Sam Raimi and then, you know, became ILM like model creators and shit like that is because horror is where you really experiment with like the craft of the prosthetic and the craft of the model and the craft of all of like the tangible shit. And the shit that they get the doll to do in these movies is fucking crazy because this little motherfucker can't do anything. He can't kill anybody. He's fucking so tiny. And you 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 what i had always thought about the chucky movies is that it is beyond the realm of believability like that it's just a doll that inexplicably is able to kill people despite the fact that it has this massive physical uh you know disadvantage disadvantage and turns out the movies have to contend with that disadvantage and figure out creative ways for him to kill people so it's not like uh totally unbelievable so they become arkham asylum games where he's pretty much maneuvering I, people because the other thing that the other thing that as we're watching the chucky series because he gets from place to place pretty quickly um that my wife is asking me is like well how does chucky move does he fly can he phase like what well, how does he move around because he's here he's there he's everywhere and then i watch the movies and the answer is the way you think he walks around on his tiny baby feet (laughs) and that makes it even more difficult for him to kill people. (laughs) That's like you end up rooting for him. Yeah. I mean, and that is also one of the weird things about, because like when you watch Freddie, you watch Jason, you watch Chucky, you don't ever sympathize with the people they're killing. You sympathize with the, the victims. It's weird in the because like those movies just become essentially like uh, sizzle reels for kills mm-hmm. where the Jason movies devolved into 
this this shit about him being like bullied and stuff like we're on the fifth Jason movie. It doesn't matter anymore. Like the Crystal Lake shit is is we just need to figure out like how we can make this kill look as interesting as possible for our audiences who are obsessed with this. Um, the first Child's Play trilogy is about Chucky terrorizing a six year old boy and you sympathize with the six year old. But like they don't. It's not that you sympathize with Chucky. It's not that you sympathize with the slasher. It's not that you sympathize with um, the killer or the murderer, even though he's in this like doll's body, this cute doll's body, although jury's still out on whether or not he's cute. I think he is. My wife thinks he's hideous. Yeah, I think uh, it's an abomination, but sure. <laughs> he's fucking, he's so cool. Uh, and so that is another wrinkle to this is that they are always they always create it so that you don't actually really sympathize with Chucky that much. And it's interesting. And I can understand based on the sort of franchise, how it became this sort of like, um, interesting vessel through which to tell, uh, queer story about teenagers, uh, because it's always been about, him gaslighting children and because he's a doll he's you know uniquely capable of doing that and he preys on people who are socially very vulnerable so kids who are bullied and kids who are pushed around and you know holds out that knife enticingly and says you know all you got to do is be like me i'm your friend till the end all this shit and it's hokey but it's weirdly very effective I'm on the Chucky train Um, and it's, you know, it's headed. It's Do they tell queer stories until the, the TV series or does it not, not in the original trilogy. um, But when Jennifer Tilly enters the picture, things change. Um, So when the bride of Chucky is introduced, um, things start like the entire franchise really changes. Um, And, by the time seed of chucky comes so the guy the the architect of the child's play sort of um franchise is a guy named don mancini don mancini wrote the first four movies did not direct them he doesn't direct until seed of chucky which comes out in 2004 and so by the time he like his creative vision is centralized it starts to shift in a different direction Mm -hmm. um and he is the showrunner for the Chucky series. And right it, now it's like it's fully his vision and he's got total creative control over it. That's interesting. Yeah. And now they have access to CG, which they don't use exclusively on the show, which I like that they still use prosthetic Chucky. Um, but now they have access to CG. And so some of the things that are more unbelievable about shit in the 90s um where it's just like uh, this is as good as we can do because it's not like we're working with George Lucas money here. We're still <laughs> we're still making a movie about a killer doll. Um, uh, that has been smoothed over because they got that NBC Universal fucking Peacock money and people love the show. Uh, speaking of shit, people don't love. So there are several different aspects, angles, gun. To use a phrase from Chucky, killed several franchises. 
He killed Man of Steel, shoved a fucking kryptonite, kryptonite. <laughs> knife into his goddamn heart. Uh, killed Batman. The Ben Affleck Batman. He killed Bat Flack. Uh, he killed, by all accounts, and you know people are, I think maybe stretching this a little bit. Killed Godot. Although I'm not sure about that one. I he for certainly did kill Patty Jenkins, and he absolutely murdered Jeff Johns. Just left him a bleeding husk on the ground. Uh, Godot, I'm not sure about. Killed Aquaman, and wants to recast Momoa as a different character in the DCEU, which is fueling speculation that he's rebooting the DCEU, which is every Snyderverse fan's worst nightmare. Brief point on that. Reboot would actually be great for them. Reboot sure. would be absolutely great for them because there's nothing that would stop Warner Brothers from be- like because the problem is the fucking continuity. Yeah. The continuity it's all a mess. Is, the continuity is a mess, right? And so if they reboot the DCEU, they can do like some Elseworld shit with Snyder down the road. I mean, they're never going to do it, but like these this idea that this is the only opportunity you have, you don't have an opportunity, but I think a reboot would be the best case scenario especially because of the way that things are going right they're at, they're you know getting you know toby mcguire and andrew garfield to be in a spider-man movie in 2021 like that would be something that would certainly be on the table five to ten years from now if this is an actual success yeah and it's so interesting that we're talking about this without even knowing what the content of the flash movie is because, like, you know, years ago, this movie has been in development forever, assuming it's ever even going to get released. Uh, but assuming that it does, as far as we know, the conceit of the Flash movie is multiverse. Yeah. And gives you a perfect jumping off point to do literally anything you want. Yeah. Um, and the reports are that uh, Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot were supposed to be cameos in the Flash movie and that they have since been cut out. Mm-hmm. Um, so not sure about that. So this is one that a little difficult here. So Ray Fisher, who has, you know, famously come out against uh Joss Whedon and Walter Hamada and all these folks. Oh, geez. Uh took a couple of screenshots here, and this is the content of his tweet. He writes, the way James Gunn uses fake grace on Twitter is really funny. Him going to bat for Joss Whedon, pseudo apologizing for it, and then deleting it immediately before taking his new job, his new DC job is not. Uh, refusing to apologize for toxic behavior seems to be a job requirement for Warner Brothers DC. This seems misguided. Um, he was not on the chopping block on uh, in, in anyone's mind, I don't think. Um, what likely sparked this is that they removed uh cyborg from the logo and so instead of having the seven justice league members there's only six um cyborg is not on that uh i would not if i was ray fisher i would hold out hope that perhaps what they're doing is doing what they did in the comics which is 
removing Cyborg from the Justice League because it didn't work out <laughs> and adding a different member to the Justice League and then re-integrating uh, Cyborg into the Teen Titans or something like that. Um, but I think he probably took it as they're cutting my character out of this universe. Yeah, that sucks. Because, you know, James Gunn, this is the other thing about Twitter. James Gunn has been around too long and everybody in this industry is tainted. And so Ray Fisher has had a horrible experience and has been abused and, you know, taken advantage of for years. And so it makes total sense to me that he would go off um, and just sort of see the connections between all these people who have worked together or who know each other. And I think he's right that James Gunn in the posi official position as head of whatever they're calling him at DC has to play nice mm -hmm. with people that suck. Um, that's not a great position to be in. I'm confused about these screenshots. Okay, um, let me let me walk you through. So, yeah, help me. So essentially what happened was um, people were responding to the uh, okay so alan tudyuk this makes yeah. sense so alan tudyuk comes out alan tudyuk longtime collaborator with joss whedon who really this is the this is like a, a misha situation in the supernatural verse like no one actually asked him for his opinion and he could right. just keep his mouth shut um, yeah. but can't do that is incapable of doing that and comes out and says i wasn't there but i've known joss for years i can't imagine I've, I've, got, I've got a good imagination. Again, as with other people we've talked about, this feels like a Mike Tirico situation. So when um, Gruden got uh, finally uh, kicked out of the, of the NFL for all of his horrible racist emails, mm -hmm. right, bef right before those things went public, Mike Tirico, who had co-hosted Monday Night Football with him for a long time, was like, well, he's been nice to me personally. Yeah. I haven't seen it. And then all this stuff comes out. And yes, when you have a personal relationship with somebody, it's very easy for them to, to not be a dick to just you. And it's easy for you to not notice that they are a dick to everyone else. Yeah. And this was a sort of a, a knee-jerk reaction from Alan Tudyk. James Gunn had a similar knee-jerk reaction. And then he apologized. And he apologized in January 2022 you know, maybe at that point he was negotiating for the DC job. I don't know. Um, but, you know, this is a nice apology. So, yeah, essentially what James Gunn said is shortly after Alan uh, tweeted uh, this, he apologized for commenting on a situation he knew nothing about. I read what Alan said and I thought, damn, he's right. It was something I knew nothing about and I shouldn't have liked the tweet. And so he liked Alan Tudyk's tweet about him working with Jaws for 17 years and all this shit. And this is, again, and this is going to be a common theme throughout going through all of this sort of James Gunn shit. He's on Twitter too much. Yes. Yes. This is a really good point because, like, this frankly doesn't feel like a pseudo apology to me. It made a Ray and, like, I'm not going to speak for Ray Fisher. Obviously, that's insane. But I'm reading this as someone who's like, oh, shit. Yeah, I fucked up. I, you know. And this is a lot of the times, you know, I feel like we do this too. Like something comes out about somebody we like and I'm like, oh, I can't imagine they do that thing. And then the evidence comes out like, oh, well, I probably should have imagined that they're capable of that thing. That's a horrible thing. That sucks. Yeah. Um, 
Yes. And, and I'm in that position right now with James Gunn where I'm like, I want him to swoop in and save the DC universe. And I love his Peacemaker stuff. And I like his tone in, and we've talked a lot about him specifically in comparison to somebody like um, uh, Ragnarok. Taika. Yeah, thank Taika. you, Taika. We're like we oh, we really like his sense of humor, and we like his sort of the emotional honesty and the vulnerability that I think he brings to those characters. Yeah. As such, I I'm rooting for him to be a good person, but I can't promise that that's the case. Yeah, um, and Ray Fisher. Thank James Gunn for the apology. Well, that's nice. And James Not Gunn not so nice. <laughs> deleted the tweet. Okay. So James Gunn saw this and responded to Ray Fisher and said, All my tweets automatically delete every few months, Ray. It has nothing to do with my tweets to you. And I believe this. Because lest we forget... Yes, this is probably going to the same place. Go ahead, go ahead. James Gunn almost lost everything because he made awful jokes on Twitter in like 2011 that were resurfaced. This was like around Guardians 2. Yeah, or... he, he did lose his job at, at Disney. Oh, Not just almost. He literally, yeah. they fired him. Yeah, and, then, on, and then they hired him back. But yes, this is... He did in fact get totally canceled for old, stupid, unconscionable, bad anti-humor when he was trying to find his 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 comedian voice on Twitter from like 2005 or something. I don't know. Yeah. And they sucked uh, and they were terrible and they were unfunny. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They were bad jokes. Uh, I think he would agree that they're bad jokes. Uh, and this is a joke that I feel like. And again, this is me going to bat for him because I like his only on the basis of what we've seen from his products now that today's James Gunn wouldn't make those jokes um, based on the no. sensitivity that I feel like exists in his material. Now, sensitivity or the appearance of sensitivity um, existed in Joss Whedon's material for a while. It got more toxic and it got weirder as he got weirder. So it's never correct to take somebody's entertainment art piece and assume that it reflects their values but it feels like this is a totally reasonable alibi that james gunn would go i am making sure my tweets don't stick around because <laughs> it's messed him up in the past yeah and but again not, not because he's unapologizing Right. And again, rather than not tweeting at all, which is probably what he should do, he, mm -hmm. like he needs to tweet. He is obsessed with Twitter. Yes, uh, and he he shares a very specific kind of Twitter brain rot with weirdly Elon Musk and Donald Trump. Like this the need yeah. to just be on Twitter all the time and talk. Yes. And it's his downfall. Yeah. It it it, it, it was you know, he was on the precipice. He was on the cusp. And after experiencing that, you would imagine somebody would just like not tweet anymore <laughs> after, getting, after getting their job back. But instead, he just set up a tweet deleter. So it deletes every couple of months everything that he has said, um, which is, again, why we also have to do the archival documentation of going through and documenting his tweets. 
And so that happened on December 19th, on the same day that he tweeted out um, this. Oh, this is, yeah, this is a good thread. This Because he cross posts stuff to Instagram. So I, I saw this thread. And this is really interesting because I sent this to you saying he doesn't negotiate with terrorists. Yeah. So this is something that he posted um, r- responding to all of the sort of toxic fandom that uh, surrounding the Restore the Snyderverse people. So he writes, one of the things Peter and I, Peter Saffron, who was his partner here, and I were aware of when we took the job as heads of DC Studios was a certain minority of people online that could be, well, uproarious and unkind, to say the least. Our choices for the DCU are based, again, not DCEU, DCU, uh, are based upon what we believe is best for the story and best for the DC characters who have been around for nearly 85 years. I think that's a slight a little bit of shade here where it's like these characters have been around for almost a century and you have you have fixed this idea of what they are like without like that this is authentically what they are is Zack Snyder's vision of these characters yeah this is very much on like the Grant Morrison side of the scale which is yeah they live in mythic time they change as people reinterpret them there's no one Batman that's stupid. That doesn't make sense. He's a cartoon character. Get over yourselves, <laughs> which is legit. <laughs> yeah, that is legit. Uh, perhaps uh, these choices are great, perhaps not, but they are made with sincere hearts and integrity and always with the story in mind. No one loves to be harassed or called names, but to be frank, we've been through significantly worse. Disrespectful outcry will never, ever affect our actions. We were aware there would be a period of turbul- turbulence when we took this gig, and we knew we would sometimes have to make difficult and not so obvious choices, especially in the wake of the fractious nature of what came before us. But this means little to us in comparison to our jobs as artists and custodians and helping to create a wide and wonderful future for DC. In this thread, he doesn't get into the harassment that he has been facing. I think maybe he posted that Instagram post after all of the shit that happens in this. Oh, there's another one in here that I think is interesting, which is I keep seeing uh, this post with this untrue theory. We're not recasting everyone except the Suicide Squad. Yeah. So essentially people like because this is another thing. The Snyder verse like spin cycle is is very interesting and and we have noted it and that's why we are um, much more discerning when it comes to uh, rumors, news and speculation. When there is something incorrect in one of the trade magazines like Variety or the Hollywood Reporter deadline, it's often because there are agents or people like The Rock lying to the publications to get them to print shit and force the hand of whoever is you know the their superior mm-hmm. it's not just because deadline went out and said let's make some shit up yeah let's... that deadline's not in the business of just making shit up right they get fed all of this information and honestly it would be it wouldn't be journalistic due diligence to to just sit on it like if if the if a story is if there is a legit chance that Warner Brothers is underreporting or misreporting the profit margin on Black Adam. That's a huge story for the industry. Like that could pose a big labor issue, a, a big union issue. Like because there's always this um, concern among people about where and how much revenue there is because 
studios don't want to share revenue down the fucking supply chain. Right. And so that would be a huge story. I mean, who would have fucking thought The Rock would lie about that shit? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah, right. Yeah, Deadline reporters are very much in the same weird position as like uh, the people that sit in, the, sit in like a White House press conference. They're like, well, I'm here and I'm reporting what the important person is saying, but I, I'm also signing myself to just be fed lies. Yeah. Yeah. You're in the spin cycle. Like you have no idea what's correct. But if if there's a chance that that's true, like that's a massive story. Um, so one of the things that had been circulating is they list all basically all the Justice League actors and said that they had been recast and then said the only people who are staying on are the Suicide Squad and James Gunn's wife. Who's James Gunn's wife? Uh, he plays the agent in uh, 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 the recurring agent. Who, oh, I didn't realize they were married. Yeah, they're married. Um, the woman who was in Peacemaker and also Black Adam. Yes. Uh, That's but, an awfully um, fucked up way to say that. The Suicide Squad and James Gunn's wife. Because she's also in the Suicide Squad. <laughs> like, she's in that movie. Yeah. Um, it's just like the worst kind of... Uh, bullshit speak to mm. call her and again i wish i remembered her name because now i feel fucking complicit in this um to call her james gunn's wife and like name. she got her position because she's married to him as opposed to she's an actress who was in the movie and was in the spinoff and you know, whatever um oh i guess you wouldn't be this high bill let's do yeah that. but if you look up peacemaker we can find her in any case um jennifer holland jennifer holland yes who is an excellent actress in her own right yeah Amelia Harcourt. That's that's the name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, that is, yeah. So that 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 had been circulating around, and it is strange too because they list everybody and they say Jason Momoa uh, recast, um, Zachary Levi out, which is strange because my sense is that Shazam is the kernel of this new universe. They are going to it's the only thing that's scaling correctly yes and, and specifically so from a business perspective i think you're right scaling correctly from a story perspective scaling correctly from a larger universe building perspective i think what we've seen is that the thing that dc so far and james gunn may take this in a different direction but the thing that really separates dc from marvel and this is uh, Grant Morrison classic is the way it treats myth mythology and its characters are high mythic and generally involved in magic and God like powers in a way that Marvel isn't. And so although Marvel has a bunch of God characters and goofy space shit, the fact that you, you could build, you know, Shazam and Dr. Fate and Wonder Woman and, you know, these and even Aquaman with kind of the Atlantis connections, a lot of that high mythic folklore as opposed to like street level people in New York who are costumed vigilantes but also can't pay their rent is a really different tone to the universe and could push it in a in a direction that feels unique yeah um <clears throat> I think that Levi is gonna have to like that character is gonna have to grow up mm -hmm. and you know one of the things that is annoying about Shazam, which I've often talked about, is that 
there is no consistency between the actor who plays Billy Batson and Zachary Levi's portrayal of the actor who plays Billy Batson. And that's obvious when the family turns into the Shazams and you go like Megan Good is doing an impersonation of the kid who plays Darla. Like, yes, uh, Adam Brody is doing an impersonation of the kid who plays Freddy. And then you're just like, oh, the whole movie, Zachary Levi has just been running around like a fucking dipshit, screaming and running into cars. And the kid who plays Billy Batson has been having an emotional train wreck happen to him and has like is is not wowed by, you know, it is a kid who is so jaded and who has had to grow up so quickly that he is actually not wowed by the things that happen in the world and is deeply and profoundly uh, and emotionally scarred, in fact, by the world and has become so hardened to it that even magic wouldn't really shake him out of that. Like, yeah. And I think the, weird. the purpose is supposed to be like, oh, it's, you know, the escapist catharsis for him. Like he's able to be a kid again because he's got these powers. And so, you know, it, it breaks him out of that cynical shell. But I agree that it doesn't play. And, you know, we we the fan the wrestling fan cast of John Cena should be Captain Marvel because The Rock is Black Adam. Well, it turns out John Cena is a really good actor and would have been able to play that depth and that subtlety really well. And I think you need an actor of that caliber to be able to to balance that. And Zachary Levi can't. Yeah, but they're not going to recast him. I think that what they're going to they're going to make him have to grow up and i think that will likely be accomplished in this sequel and the other thing that is good about this sequel is that they're bringing in new actors and they're bringing in up-and-coming people like rachel zegler is in the movie playing a character who i think is still unnamed and you know, she's this, she's up and coming and she's going to be huge and she's playing fucking Snow White or Cinderella or some shit. Um, and she was Maria in West Side Story, the reboot. Um, and she has a Shazam character who I believe is still a mystery who is going to set up something else. And so they already like Shazam is the only property that's doing anything. And I think that's because Peter Safran is involved in that. Mm. Um, and so that is probably where they're going to be playing. And so I don't think they were going to recast Zachary Levi. Um, and Zachary Levi has gone on the record going like, Peter Safran's my friend. I know him. He produced the movies I'm in. I'm not worried about this. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah. All right. That's good for him. Um, but people are, are, are saying that he's out. Okay. So this was, you know, this was one threat. So, uh, just before we move on, that's a nice thread. Yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. just it's a very diplomatic, like it's pretty understated, and it really speaks. To, it's a very good PR move to be like, I love these characters, I love this universe, I want to be a custodian of the world. We're gonna have to make hard choices, but like this is our goal. And like this is kind of the boilerplate that everybody says when they're there's now like a script for people stepping into shepherd intellectual property like this, but it's a really good uh, implementation of that kind of script. Sounds nice. Yeah. Um, and so the the next thing that happened, and this is like confounding, is David Ayer, who has received, you know, and I understand the release, the Snyder cut 
thing because Justice League was truly an abomination. Yeah, and the Snyder Cut I liked. Yeah, I thought it was it was totally a clear original. vision. Yes, in a way that the theatrical release was not. Um, and you know, for the most part, I've seen Zack Snyder, you know, make movies that are functional films. Never really like them. Uh, I think 300 is a totally functional film. It works as a movie. I can't say the same thing about David Ayer. David Ayer is a bizarre filmmaker. Um, and I have trouble with his films. And so I don't understand the release, the air cut stuff. And it, it, it does also seem half hearted. Like the, the people who are for the Snyder cut are, are really pushing pushing it with the release day or cut shit. And so he has support among the fans. And that is solely because his version of the Suicide Squad is different than James Gunn's. James Gunn, you know, the way that he got integrated into the DCU was rebooting David Ayer's project. And so that makes him you know, uh, sympathetic in retrospect. And the uh, Snyder was a producer on the Suicide Squad Mm -hmm. because this was during the period in which he and Deborah Snyder, who was his wife and producing partner, were still basically running things at DC. And so if they can, they, the idea was we get the air cut release and then it, it does gangbusters. Warner Brothers has to come back to the fold. Never happened. Um, but still, they're laboring under that. And so David Ayer responds to this thread where James Gunn is highlighting the negativity of what's going on. And he quote tweets it and says, I always saw the negativity as a testament to the power of these characters. There's something deeply mythological in them that ignites passion on both sides. Like a dumb guy point. I'm sure. <laughs> it's so interesting because it's like, yes, but also it's a non point. <laughs> he's he's trying very very carefully to not take sides but he's also like kind of right it's like yeah people care about these characters is what he's saying yeah he's saying okay care about these characters and that's why uh they talk about them so much <laughs> like, that's why they get like excited about him like cool we have a whole podcast where we talk about them a lot that he's right now what's interesting about this before we get into the insane fractious bullshit that that the spawns in response is I want to like call out every Snyder bro right now as a fake geek boy. Um, And that is because (laughs) if they read the comics, um, they would know that this is the way these mythological characters work. You know, the Snyder verse is a, is equivalent to a volume of, you know, a writing team on a book. Mm -hmm. You get, you know, um, Tom King's Batman, and then you get Scott Snyder's Batman and they're different. Yeah, and that's fine. <laughs> and sometimes they do end abruptly because they're not performing well. Yeah, like, sometimes that, they just get canceled. That happens all the time. You never get your last issues of Kevin Smith's Batman stories that he takes too long to write or whatever. They just don't happen. Yeah. And I was I, and I was reading like the new 52 run of Green Arrow and every five issues, the creative team changed and mm-hmm. like everything looked like the art looked different. The tone was different. What was happening had no connection to what had happened previously. And that is essentially what happens to 
Justice League. It's like you had all these movies and they 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 didn't do as critically and commercially well as they were supposed to do. And then uh, so they just changed it. And, yeah, then- and so the irony I'm pointing out here is that these pros who are talking about, oh, the, the sanctity and the sacredness of these characters and this vision and, you know, always going, what the comics say or whatever, somehow expect these films to reflect their idealized version of the comics while also being totally oblivious or willfully ignorant of the way the comics work, right. which is that things change on the fly all the time. They're much cheaper to produce, so they they actually change much more frequently and things will get chopped much more often. And so the fact that WB is actually running their movie studio like a comic book studio, which is a bad idea, to right. be clear, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, because you have all of this nonsense and sunk costs and movies are much more expensive than comic books to make. You can't run a movie studio like a comic book studio. But the fact that they are, uh, it should just be par for the course if you're a comic book fan. Yeah. So you called them fake geek boys? I did. (laughs) Well, there you have it. Care to retort? (laughs) Yeah, email us, I guess, because we're not on Twitter. Uh, Uh, Continue. Yeah, so there's a bunch of shit like CBR, uh, DC Studios, Insiders, God, (laughs) a reportedly question whether co-head James Gunn's management ability after a slew of changes he's made since taking over. I love this, that it's Zack Snyder updates. The the account is replying to David Ayer with a comicbook.com or CBR article that's totally unverified. Yeah, that's absolutely fake and doesn't matter uh blah 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 blah. uh let's find one david you're cut never going to see green light because this guy destroyed what the fans fight for years stop defending him it's not the good way for you i'm sorry what is he responding to again this idea of um a james gunn has somehow buried david ayer but but he's responding to David. Ayer. Is he just responding to the fact that David Ayer is engaging with James Gunn? Yes. Like you should not be talking to this man at all because he ruined your life. Because how can you say that this is a defense, an offense or anything? If anything, David Ayer's quote here is running in parallel at best to what James Gunn is saying. He's very clearly not picking sides at all. <laughs> it's like you just got to saying a thing. It's like if you were in a classroom and two students were arguing about a point and a third student said, I just got to say. This is divisive. The other two students would be like, hey, shut up. (laughs) Right. And I I say that from experience. Like, (laughs) I know I've had those exact interactions in the classroom. (laughs) Yep. (laughs) You're just like, wait, hold on you're just talking you're just talking you're just saying you're just you're just saying something to say something and that's what david ayer is doing here he's like not taking a side or he's just like reiterating a point that james gunn also made like yeah people are very passionate about this stuff and david ayer's like what i think is that people are really passionate about this stuff and then james gunn is like thanks david (laughs) great thanks but this guy is like stop defending him how dare you (laughs) uh 
this person says there are people who don't like unfinished work everyone that's honest and people who pretend those people are somehow wrong for feeling that way so i guess there are two sides honest people and dishonest ones oh Again, i guess that makes me a dishonest person um yeah i mean you're deeply profoundly dishonest because you called him uh what was it a <laughs> fake geek boy um <laughs> uh, and but, look, I get it. Like, you know, it's sad when the project doesn't finish. It is. Yeah. Um, That's also kind of how this works. And that kind of sucks. Yeah. But what about this guy who says, can't believe you are not stand up for us after all you show your side again. What am I missing here? What yeah. uh, did David Ayer just disavow the fact? So this is. People are taking this as though David Ayer has given up on the Ayer cut in some way by talking, by quote tweeting he, James Gunn. This is this is like high school logic mm -hmm. where you are you have a tiff with somebody and then somebody one borrows a pencil from them in class and she's like, how dare you talk to them? That's exactly what's happening in these comments because David, why are you doing this? James Gunn doesn't give a single damn about the air cut. Why are you doing this? This meaning talking to James Gunn. That's it. That's all he did. Yeah. He just said some shit to James Gunn. And honestly, it it could be read as defending the negativity. Yes. And this is, I mean, I feel like David Ayer wrote this in a very specific, what he thought was a very calculated way where he's not taking sides and he's able to be like, well, you know, I think you should cut these people some slack for being so negative because they're so bad. And then somehow those people that he's like sort of trying to obliquely defend have decided that he's betrayed them. Yeah. Yes. It also shows how profoundly immature this fandom is. Like they are don't don't talk to like don't talk to the enemy and this is kind of like a microcosm of internet culture itself mm -hmm. and yeah. it doesn't get any worse than the goddamn rock and so the the rock uh tweeted some a long post i have not read it you have not oh, read we're gonna it. do we're gonna do it live we're doing it live <laughs> oh boy an hour before we we went on uh we we started recording and then a minute before we started recording, James Gunn responded to The Rock. I haven't read any of this. I don't know what's happening. And the last thing, if we're going to sort of, you know, put put out the the timeline for what happened with The Rock is Black Adam is released. It does not do well. Uh, uh, there were stories that came out from trades that studio insiders not like the CBR insiders, like actual people who work at studios, executives and things would estimated that Black Adam would have to break 600 million in worldwide domestic gross to make a profit, which is pretty consistent with my understanding of how the shit works, because the movie costs 300 million dollars to make. And that doesn't marketing and yeah. all that shit. Right. Um, so. The movie doesn't make that. I think it made $400 million or something like that, um, which is roughly equivalent to what Captain America, the first Avenger, made. 
10 years ago. So adjusted for inflation, Captain America absolutely ate Black Adam's lunch. Um, <laughs> Rude. Okay. It, it just did. Yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so The Rock came out. This is a flop. There are questions surrounding his career because he did Jungle Cruise. He did Black Adam. He is flopping and flopping and flopping. And there are other professional wrestlers who are doing great work and who are (laughs) part of ensembles and who are gaining gaining critical acclaim. And his movies keep coming out to bad negative press. And they're not making as much money as they should if he's the biggest star in the world. Right. And so he comes out and essentially lies about the box office gross. And this lie sends everything into this sort of like the turmoil and uh, it's very confusing. And all of this sort of leaked um, green lights that are happening in the trade magazines also seem to be in question. Is this just the rocks team saying that black Adam two has been greenlit? <laughs> uh, I wonder if he addresses that in this, in this tweet. Oh, the suspense uh, is killing me. Yeah. So, Let's do so it. All of this shit is, is 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 sort of like in the air. There's no clarity about it. So this is what The Rock has tweeted. My passionate friends, I wanted to give you a long-awaited Black Adam update regarding the character's future with the DC Universe. No, in the new DC Universe. In the new, sorry, in the new... It's because I forgot the balance of power had shifted. In yeah. the new DC Universe. <laughs> James Gunn and I connected and Black Adam will not be in their first chapter of storytelling. Oh, my God. You know, this meeting was hell. Yeah. (laughs) Just based on that, you know, this fucking meeting was hell. However, DC and Seven Bucks have agreed to continue exploring the most valuable ways Black Adam can be utilized in future DC multiverse chapters. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Okay. James and I have known each other for years and have always rooted for each other to succeed. It's no different now, and I will always root for DC and Marvel to win and win big. God, this guy is always trying to get another job. Uh, Of course. (laughs) You guys know me, and I have very thick skin. Really? We know that seems unlikely. (laughs) The man who cannot be in the same room with Vin Diesel. Great point. Uh, and you can always count on me to be direct with my work. <laughs> this is this is this is a joke, right? You can always count on me to be direct with my words, which is why nobody even has ever understood where your politics are, where you stand on any social issue. Mm-hmm. <laughs> also, sometimes what you're saying in movies, like yeah. literally or, or <laughs> even what the true contents of two paragraphs ago is with first chapter of storytelling. Yeah. Very direct. Thanks. Thanks. Dwayne. Uh, these decisions, these decisions made by James and DC leadership represent their vision of DCU through their creative lens. I, that's like a David Ayer wrote that part of this. Yes. Like, right. <laughs> no, no shit. Sherlock. After 15 years of relentless hard work to finally make Black Adam, I'm very proud of the film we delivered for fans worldwide. Well, he's not being honest there. Uh, I will always look back on the fan reaction to Black Adam with tremendous gratitude, humility, and love. We did great to my very passionate and vocal Black Adam superhero genre fans. I love you. Thank you. And I will always listen to you and do my best to deliver and entertain you. Do my best to deliver you? 
uh, might... best to deliver and entertain you. Yeah, okay. that's not a sentence structure that actually makes sense. There should be like a comma there or something to make it clear that he's not delivering you. This next sentence is my favorite sentence ever written. <laughs> what a hell of a month. Now we all need some Terramana. Is that his, his tequila? His tequila that he's making now. Slide a plug in. To yep, he got to. <laughs> Hustle never stops. Have a productive week and happy holidays to you and your families. DJ. Wow. That's a concession speech. James Gunn told him to kick rocks. Yep, <laughs> that's exactly right. James uh, Gunn said, this movie is not it, my dude. This movie was bad. And, and you need to admit it to me in this room right now that you know this movie is bad if you want to continue to be in the fucking DCU. Yeah, and like that this movie. is James Gunn. You're totally right. This is James Gunn saying, look, we understand you have a deal with seven bucks. We'll let you stick on as a producer. We'll see if we want to use this character at some point. Um, we're not closing the door on Hawkman. <laughs> But we're not making another one of these movies. It did not perform well enough to warrant that. Yeah. Wow. Shit. Oh, and and your little Henry Cavill shit. Fuck you forever. <laughs> never going to be in the mainline DCU. Yeah, the multiverse chapter thing is interesting. And I think you're totally right. It would absolutely make sense to me for them in four years or whatever to have, you know, they've reestablished whatever their bright, colorful, interesting mainline dcu is and then they have an invasion or a window into the dark gritty snyderverse as like uh they come back or they're visitors or they're you see them all dead because the anti-monitor showed up or something yeah yeah um would be great to see the rock just a cameo of him dead uh so james gunn quote tweeted this and said Love the rock, and I'm always excited to see what he and Seven Bucks do next. Can't wait to collaborate soon. Slightly shady. Can't wait to see what you do next. I know what it's not good to be. <laughs> right. <laughs> Very excited to see what your next project is because it's not with me. <laughs> yeah. Oh man. I want to see just very quickly what people are are saying about this because this movie was absolutely awful. This person says the DC universe has lost its mind. Black Adam is the best thing that ever happened to the franchise. C can you pay people to post this shit? Followed immediately by Black Adam was an absolutely terrible film. Everyone involved should apologize to anyone who spent money seeing it. Love that those two are right next to each other, <laughs> especially because the movie was fine. Like it was just fine. <laughs> yeah. It wasn't great. It wasn't terrible. It, it took some interesting stabs at like trying to reinvent the genre didn't do that successfully it had some pretty decent performances it was a mediocre movie yeah totally mediocre not worth like can barely <laughs> this person is confused <laughs> so you are not bat black adam just like cavill a lot of people are very upset about henry cavill so i actually want to make a point about that because um, we had talked last time about Henry Cavill's hubris and his, you know, Netflix should offer him the world or whatever. And it makes total sense to me. The big news with Henry Cavill is Amazon has the rights to produce Warhammer 40K media, and they've signed him on to become the guru of the Warhammer 40K extended universe for film and television. That is the perfect role for him. 
because he's such an, a geek about Warhammer 40k. Like, and specifically, he's not writing. He's t- he said, "Hey, we're looking for directors. We're looking for writers. We're looking for creators." He's sort of the the Kevin Feige, or that's what he wants to be, and is like he thinks he's got the experience now to do that. Mm. I am very happy for him in the abstract because it means he kind of sort of gets it that he can't be a leading man. Um, Like he's going to star in one of these certainly, but he's trying to take it to the next level. And like, Hey, if somebody like swooped in and was like, Hey, looking at your body of work, we'd like you to shepherd the green lantern extended universe. Like my biggest, like random passion project that's awesome. That would be my, you know, so exciting. So it's very exciting for him to do that. I think he's kind of humorless. I think the Warhammer 40k world is a world that either needs to be understood with like a massive dose of irony, and if it isn't, is just kind of fascist. And so I think that's his stuff's probably going to be bad, but I'm yeah. excited for him that he gets to pursue his passion project. That's yeah, nice. I, I think it's nice. I just think that he he has a kind of British stoicism that is just off putting to me. Uh, and it's also the tone of Warhammer 40K. That's the thing. It's like he's kind of the perfect person for that world. That world is just deeply humorless. OK, well, yeah, I mean, this is like some some nerd shit that no one cares about that he'll get paid a bunch of money for and. I think he has an inbuilt audience that will go wherever he wants to go. And, you know, this is something I would never watch. Uh, yeah. Like, it, it's cool for him, but whatever. It's cool for him. He's a huge dork. So, I mean, have fun making this project. Uh, probably shouldn't have left The Witcher and the Superman Gambit didn't pay off. Um, so this is something else that I wanted to point because I saw going around two sides to the Witcher story. The first is his fans saying the Witcher showrunners were departing too too far from the source material and thought they could do better and were making changes. And he's a huge fan of the of the source material and the books and the games and was you know intractable creative differences because they were abandoning you know the the soul of the material or whatever. Mm-hmm. That's the one side. The other side is people reporting that um, working with Henry Cavill over the past couple of years has become impossible, that he's become radicalized, um, that he's like oh. an incel now um, because he's like deeply addicted to gaming and has been totally sort of consumed by gamer culture and started to be impossible to work with because the showrunner, one of the showrunners on The Witcher is female. And he started trying to overrule her and started trying to like not in like a there's no like predatory sexual way, but in like the super privileged, entitled, I am a big white man and therefore everyone should listen to me. And it's probably somewhere in the middle where they were making changes and he's a huge dork and didn't want any changes. And also he's totally immersed in gamer culture and his, his brain's rotting. No, there's absolutely lest we forget he's always been kind of a creep yeah there's nothing surprising to me about the fact that henry cavill could become radicalized in that way i mean he is i mean he's a fucking dink 
like he he plays video games all the time video game culture is famously toxic masculinist and like, and specifically, what kinds of games is he playing? He's playing The Witcher. He's playing a bunch of Warhammer. It's all like super hyper macho. You know, there's not a whole yeah, but, like yeah. co-op. But he's also probably playing online. And the online mm-hmm. space is where, I mean, that that was the whole Gamergate thing. Like people became radicalized white nationalists online. It's a place where people, like you log in and you can just set a timer to count down the first time you hear the n-word or the first time you hear the f-word the first time you hear a racial slur the first time you hear uh, a a slur against like it i mean and you would you would be on there for about two minutes you would enter the waiting room for a call of duty team death match and immediately just your ears would be filled with shit <laughs> that you could never unhear um and what is what is even more off-putting about that space is that everybody in that space thinks it's so funny and mm-hmm. thinks that it is uh and also thinks that any sort of like person that says hey you shouldn't probably say the n-word is like a beta or some shit like that like it is the worst environment to exist on and i play online games i just mute everything mm-hmm. And it makes me a terrible teammate because in addition to the, you know, racial epithets that are flying around, it's also directions on what to do. So you don't <laughs> do that either. Just block it all out and wander around. Love it. Yeah. So the idea that he became difficult to work with and unstable, essentially, because he spent all his time playing video games and getting inundated with this language and this philosophy and then like couldn't be a collaborative creative person anymore and is now going off to be the head of a thing that is insular and kind of fashy and is he can have total creative control over good for him but also that might end up being massively toxic and a huge boys club and deeply unsympathetic yeah, and he also became good friends with The Rock. So it's all kind of tracking. <laughs> well, yeah, interesting that these things match up all the same time, right? That suddenly he and The Rock start chumming it up. Yeah, God. What a disaster. Um, Well, that was that. That's everything that happened <laughs> on Twitter. I can't believe that's all of the show. But you did have one thing that you... you I did have one thing to talk about. Um, So speaking of Warner Brothers Discovery, um, found a new show uh, called... It was a single season from 2019, pre-pandemic. Discovery did a show called Man vs. Bear. Oh, shit. Man vs. Bear is an absurd competition show. And I think it's, it's a nice segue here because it really is all about breaking down human hubris. So the idea is there's three bears in Bear Mountain, Utah. It's a sanctuary. I've heard it before the three bears. Oh yeah, mm-hmm. and they people go to eat their <laughs> porridge and then they fuck them up. That's exactly right. <laughs> <laughs> yep, <laughs> basically. Um, so uh, this bear behaviorist or whatever has trained these bears to enjoy gaming, essentially. Oh, is and, this like a like it's like a like a dog trainer kind of like a for mm, bears? No, it is 
people compete in challenges against bears. No, but a bear, what is a bear behavior? Oh, yes. Yes. Like a bear trainer. Exactly. So these are bears that cannot be released back into the wild. They've been raised by humans. Um, they were orphaned as cubs. Uh, they work sometimes in films. Some some of these bears will. Um, oh. So they're not domesticated like they're out in large preserves, but they're used to human interaction. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, Bart, Honey Bun, or sorry, Honey Bump and Tank, these three bears um, are uh, trained to play these games, essentially. And these games are ch- challenges against humans who think somehow that they can beat a bear. So um, you get three people and they're all like mass, like all various kinds of ripped. You know, some are power lifters, some are marathon runners. You know, they're all, some of them are like ex-military, you know, peak human condition, peak human uh, hubris and arrogance. You're like, yeah, I'm going to beat this bear. And they go in various challenges. So we start with a tug of war. So person is on like a big, almost like a big diving board plateau, like 20 feet above a pool of water. And then, you know, there's a huge rope and they hold one side and on the other side of the pool on the ground is Bart. And you get points for how long you can stay holding this rope before Bart pulls you into the water. And everybody goes up and they're like, oh, yeah, uh, you know, it's all mind over matter. Uh, I can do anything, positive thinking. And then this bear like picks up the rope and just kind of like tugs it a little bit and they go flying into the water. Um, You got a log roll. Bart loves the log roll. Big old log. He pushes it. Yeah, he, He's clearly having a great time. Um, And these people and the blog is like 1500 pounds. And then the people get a log to roll that's five times their body weight. So however, however much they weigh, five times their body weight, this massive log, and they get points for how far they can push it before Bart finishes pushing his log. And, you know, they're kind of side by side. So Bart's never in direct contact with them, but Bart Jesus. These are like huge bears. This is a, yeah, this is a grizzly bear. These are like eight and a half feet tall, 2,000 pounds or whatever. This the you know, big boy. Um, and so they'll roll the log. And then, and you know, it's always, you know, the person's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm a power lifter and I'm going to do great. And that's all. And then they are struggling with this thing. And Bart's having the time of his life. Just rolling the log. And burp, 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 burp. He's like adorable. Um, then there's a food challenge. Oh, come uh, on. And, <laughs> Just skip uh, that one. Yeah, right. So Tank, who's the oldest bear of the three. And who's very like dad coded, like sits in a big lawn chair and like rubbing his belly. And then they put out a big plate of bear foods for him. And the three people walk up and there's a big cloche and they, you know, it's on top of a log and they open it up and it's fruit, nuts, um, bugs, and a, a cooked ham, like big slab of ham, and then raw fish. And each food each food group is like a different number of points and you know the more like the bugs are five points and the raw fish is four points and the fruit's like one point and they have as soon as tank starts eating they have to start eating and whenever tank's done they have to be done and however much food they can eat while tank's eating they get points for this is crazy by the way that the most dangerous thing you can be doing in these challenges where there are real live full-grown grizzly bears right next to you is still eating the raw fish like that's the thing that's most likely to kill you. Don't do that <laughs> shit. Very bad idea. <laughs> so you see these people like gobbling down this food and 
and then they end up trying to puke and it's like it's very disgusting and uh, and uh, tank's having a great time and it's adorable because he just like sits down for a snack um right after eating all of this food and like trying to get down a bunch of raw fish they are asked to go through an obstacle course uh honey bump chases them through an obstacle course and has Terrible. they have like a 50 yard 50 foot i don't know 50 something head start and she's like there to put the fear of god into them um she runs they got to go over the obstacle course she's trained to stop when they hit a tree she so far has stopped every time <laughs> That's good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, then they got to climb this tree and they've timed out like, well, a bear could do this in 37 seconds. So you have 37 seconds to do it. And as far as you get, you get points. Um, This sounds like a PETA disaster to me. It is. Good. <laughs> there has to be there have to be people with rifles on set ready to fucking snipe those bears. I guess the bears are bears are really interesting because especially if they've been trained from childhood, they're just kind of like guys. Yeah, but it's like but like they're also the trained tiger. Yeah, one bad day, right? Yeah, it we'll just like gets pissed off or smells something and freaks out. No, that's absolutely right. So it is crazy, and these bears are there's no like fencing. They're just there. Oh. <laughs> You're just relying on the bear to like. Be polite. <laughs> it's 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 absurd. Um, so at the end of these challenges, there's three competitors. Whoever has the worst score from all these challenges gets cut. And then two people, each of them goes into the final challenge where they are put into a giant steel hamster ball. Mm. Um, and then Bart shows up and like pushes the ball. And they have to like try to not fall into a down backwards into a pit. And so he'll like um, bounce on the on the cage and if you're smart and tactical about it you can like shift your weight at the last second or get down onto the bottom of the ball to make it harder for Bart to roll you but eventually he'll just like get pissed off and actually try and this is what's so interesting is like the humans are so sure that they can do anything and so sure that they have like their peak conditioning and this specific thing that I did every day for five years is going to make me perfectly suited to beat a bear in a challenge. And the bear is just like 1500 pounds. It just does not matter. Um, and so it's just a matter of, you can see when Bart's pulling the rope or Bart's pushing the hamster ball when Bart's like trying. And when Bart is like, hang kind of like goofing around and then, if they do well, Bart will like kind of start paying attention. It's mm-hmm. very much like the Shaggy. I'm only using one percent of my power. Me, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and the part bear's like, oh, okay, I actually, I actually have to try, and then pushes them. And uh, whoever gets the best score wins the round. And then at the end, there's like eight or nine episodes of this. There's a superhuman showdown where the three humans who've had the best score do something. I haven't finished it, so I don't know what they're like final challenges they've not said what people are playing for there's no clear idea that there's like money involved it might just be you know the people that they find are all like massive gym bros Mm. who and they're all you know producers will of course do this to like create villains or whatever but a lot of them really do show up be like i'm great i'm gonna beat this bear i'm like a mr olympia or something i'm my uh you know my strength of will is gonna win out and the bear's like i don't even recognize you as a threat i'm gonna push you off a mountain or something right yeah so it's delightful and that's cool 
the there's the first two episodes we've seen it's always two men and a woman the woman tends to do better uh because maybe there's just like less less toxicity there i don't know the woman who won this second episode is ex-military very tactical was very smart in the way she approached the challenges um and also i think has a lower center of gravity and was slightly lighter and so it was easier to like move the big log or something mm-hmm. but it's interesting you can tell when somebody respects the bear it's like oh bear that's so cool this is amazing and i'm i'm scared but also like in awe and when somebody's like oh i'm so mad at myself cuz the bear beat me in this challenge or like wow i didn't expect the bear to be that strong like bro you thought you had a chance you yeah. weren't expecting that the eight and a half you know, foot tall monster was stronger than you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, it's like they, they are, at, they are, if like contestants on nailed it, went in with like uber confidence. Yes. It is very much the, the nailed it of physical fitness. Yeah. It's like you don't have a chance. Like you've never made a cake like this before. There's no way you're going to do well. And everybody comes in with that expectation of, I'm going to do the best I can. And the point of this is that I'm going to make an awful looking cake. Yes. And, and the people, you're totally right. The people who walk into man versus bear. And in this case, it's only been the two women who've walked in knowing I'm going to fail, but I'm going to give it my best shot. And I'm going to prove to my child that like you can cry or whatever. And I like bears <laughs> like this is cool. Mm-hmm. Um, do better than the the dudes who are like I have un- all this unearned confidence because I do a bunch of reps in the gym and I'm gonna beat this bear at his own game. Like, huh? <laughs> that's so crazy. That's it's been HBO, a lot of fun. That's HBO Max. That's Discovery. Well, it might be eventually. It's currently Discovery Plus. Okay. Um, but that's supposed to merge at some point. So I hope they don't send Man versus Bear down the memory hole for tax write offs. I can't imagine it was that expensive to make. Yeah, no, game shows are going it, to, it's going to be like a real stratified society. We're going to have blockbusters and game shows. That's it. Um, speaking of blockbusters, just, just, just to put this out on the, on the, on the radar. So the Cameron Gam- Gambit, uh, James Cameron says, Oh, that Cameron. Okay. He needs to make, Two billion dollars. It's like some, some fucking Doctor Evil shit. Two billion dollars to make a profit on Avatar Two, The Way of Water. Can you guess? It opened this weekend. How much money it has made in just four days, worldwide? Uh, five hundred million. Exactly correct. Wait, really? <laughs> yeah, it's made 500 million worldwide. Uh, I'm not sure what the multiplier on the depreciation is. I don't think it's going to make $2 billion. Like 500 million is an awesome opening weekend for any other movie. Yeah, usually you want to make, <laughs> this is crazy to say, but you kind of want to make half of what you need in the first weekend. Right. And uh, this is much less than that. <laughs> like, Because it's going to be another COVID spike. It's going to depreciate by half every subsequent. And all of the Oscar movies are coming out, too. Mm-hmm. And so that's going to menace this a little bit. So I, I don't I don't know. I don't know if the cam the Cameron Gambit is going to pay off. It's a uh, bummer. I love James Cameron and I like those movies. 
or I like the first one, but like I also haven't gotten to see this one yet because everyone who like my in-laws want to see it and they have COVID. So like, <laughs> yeah. And by all accounts, if you wait for it to come out on video, you're going to lose a massive part of the experience because he he made the film for IMAX. Yeah, and this is a kind. This is like the one exception where, like, every Marvel movie says that, and then I watch it on my TV at home. Like, I don't care. This is fine. Whatever. Yeah. yeah. Um. And I, I watched Black Adam on my TV at home, and that was fine, and I didn't care. And Avatar, my, James Cameron projects might be the only thing short of like going to see, you know, a National Geographic IMAX Bear Park experience thing mm-hmm. that feels like it still warrants going to see it in theaters. Yeah, yeah. I mean, obviously, if I didn't have COVID, I would have been there opening weekend. But it didn't play out that way. Maybe I'll understand the way of water in the new year. That's probably what what it's going to have to be. Um, There is a three hour and 12 minute runtime to the film. Oh, no. Is is there an intermission? What do you think? (laughs) <laughs> it's I like an intermission, didn't it? Or maybe that's only because I had it in the VHS box set that was you had to change the tapes up. Yeah, no, th- there's no intermissions on on James Cameron movies, and uh, yeah, they're a whole experience, and I, and I do like them. And and people have been saying that the movie is good. It got lesser reviews than the original Avatar film, although I I would pr- I would posit that the original Avatar film was largely overrated and i think that this movie based on what i have heard is probably underrated um they they have to retcon a lot of shit it takes place in real time well not real time obviously but it takes place the exact amount of time uh later than between actual production so it's like 14 years later or some shit like that uh and they introduce new characters and there are characters and actors who played characters in the first movie who are playing different characters in the second movie because you have all these navi bodies and these cgi characters so that you can do that kind of shit um and apparently sam worthington the theory going in was that cameron because of what what had happened to his career and because of his performance in the first movie was just going to kill him off doesn't seem to be the case seems like he is the centerpiece of the avatar franchise moving forward which is really bizarre that's so risky very risky because when you want you want to make two billion dollars and you are banking on sam worthington to help you do that (laughs) i think he's banking on the fact that he's james cameron and and that uh, it doesn't matter who he puts in (laughs) yeah he's he's he he made schwarzenegger and that was a risky sell like schwarzenegger couldn't speak english (laughs) that (laughs) <laughs> and he made it work so i don't know uh so that'll do it for this episode of it is just as bad uh do not go on social media email us at is just as bad at gmail.com bye is this just bad bad it's like what pirates brought your brain, robbing knowledge, no joking. Opening your mind with a crowbar till you're woken, hitting Hydra, hailing hairs, had for time for hella reasons. We're more than winter soldiers, with the men for all seasons. Listen closely while we share our expertise in cosmic comics culture. Dean is free tuition to the multiversity. Mouse is psycho teaching perfect balance when we snap infinite gems into your ears. Dust our shoulders when we speak. Purple men persuasive feet. Where Randy Savage rattles with their mortal technique. Ooh.
With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. <laughs> 